Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And it's time for our annual look at the year in history, something that's become kind of a little tradition for us. And we've mentioned before how the news, the news of historical discoveries or new research on older discoveries often influences what we cover. So it just seems natural to do a little roundup of all those little bits of history news that piqued our interest but haven't made their way into a full episode or an episode update just yet. But as always, we should point out that even though our title for for this episode and the continuation of this episode is called Unearthed, in 2012. It's not going to be all about stuff that came out of the ground by way of archaeological work and and so forth. The finds that we're discussing could be from almost anywhere, the depths of the ocean or the depths of someone's forgotten basement storage, uh, things that have been sitting around for decades even in some cases, uh, and are only finally being analyzed and new discoveries are being made. And it's by no means a comprehensive list, this thing we're offering up here. The only thing that really ties all these finds together is the fact that there was news about them this year that we found really interesting, and we hope that you will too. So the first item on our list is an update to a mystery presented in a previous podcast on 16th century Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done. He is one of your favorites. And we have a, um, we even have a Christmas ornament of him that listeners sent us in uh, last year. We do. And Brahe, of course, if you didn't hear that podcast, was the first astronomer to describe a supernova or the explosion of a dying star. He also discovered a new star in the constellation Cassiopeia, which was a pretty big deal at the time because people thought that everything in the universe, including the stars, was fixed, that nothing changed. So there's this crazy story about Tycho Brahe's death in 1601, which suggests that he died because he refused to excuse himself to use the bathroom while he was at a banquet at the emperor's court in Prague. He thought it would be rude to get up in the middle of a meal. So as the story goes, by the time he got home, he wasn't able to urinate for 11 days until he finally passed away on October 24th, 1601. So that's kind of the old-fashioned story about Tycho, and a lot of people believe this for many years years until in the 1990s, some tests were done by researchers in Denmark on some hair samples from Brahe's mustache, uh, which had been obtained when his body was exhumed in 1901. And these researchers found what they determined to be very high levels of mercury in these hairs. And they said that the, the levels were 100 times greater than normal mercury levels. So suddenly, Mercury poisoning seemed to be entertained as a very likely cause of Brahe's death, and some people began to suspect foul play. If you start going down that path, you start wondering, well, if he was murdered, who did it? Was it German mathematician and astronomer Johannes Kepler, whose work benefited a lot from Brahe's death? A lot of people thought that could be the case. Or was it Danish King Christian IV, who hated Brahe for supposedly having an affair with the king's mother? So there are several theories here, and we explored some of them in the episode that we did. Some people also thought that Brahe might have accidentally poisoned himself, since he was a bit of an alchemist. Maybe he made a medicine that contained mercury and just put too much in it. But... 
Around the time that we did this episode on Brahe in 2010, the astronomer's remains had just been exhumed from his grave in Prague once again so that researchers could explore some of these theories a little more. So in November of this year, a Danish-Czech team of researchers revealed what they had found when they analyzed bone and beard samples from this exhumation. Basically, they determined that Brahe's mercury levels were not high enough for this to have caused his death. So exactly the opposite. Yeah, and they're, they are still waiting for analysis of teeth samples to come back. But from what they found so far, he did not get an unusually large dose of mercury in the last five to ten years of his life. And in fact, his levels weren't that much different from uh, just the average person alive today. According to a BBC article, Dr. Jens Velov, one of the researchers in this in this project, said, quote, it is impossible that Tico Brahe could have been murdered. If there were other poisons in the beard, we would have been able to see it in the analysis. So pretty definitive statement there. They also solved another mystery we speculated about a bit in the Brahe podcast, the mystery of the composition of his metallic nose. (laughs) So just a little background here. He lost his nose in a duel that he fought with another student while he was studying astronomy. They had fought over some mathematical point. Naturally. Brahe had lost a chunk of his nose, and the story was that he replaced it with an artificial nose made of either gold or silver. Unfortunately, that artificial nose was missing when Brahe was exhumed in 1901. But the test done by this research team shows that the traces of copper and zinc that were found on the remains suggest that his prosthesis was actually made of brass. And I've been thinking about this probably more than I should have, Deblina. Really? I've been thinking maybe brass complemented his skin tone better. I mean, silver or gold? It might be kind of difficult if that was like the middle of your face. It wouldn't really blend, yeah, I guess. Brass might, I don't know, a little rosier. Maybe. <laughs> it's a theory, Sarah. It's I'll out go there. along with that. But the next item on our list involves uh, someone else who is really well-known, another favorite of ours, I guess, to talk about, Leonardo da Vinci. And admittedly, da Vinci is a lot like Amelia Earhart in so much as you can't really seem to go one year without hearing some kind of news or new theory about him or one of his works. It's easy to get them confused almost. You know that there's some new da Vinci find out there and you don't realize that it's actually a different one from the one announced a month before. Yep. Uh, But usually the news items involve what's often called the world's most famous painting, the Mona Lisa, of course. And over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of news that has had to do with determining the identity of the portrait subject, the lady with the mysterious smile. The generally agreed upon theory is that it's a painting of Lisa Garadini, a Florentine merchant's wife. And this year there was more news about that as Italian researcher Silvano Vincenti has been digging up human remains in an old abandoned convent in Florence that's believed to be Garadini's final resting place. And he's hoping to find her remains and confirm that they're hers and do a facial reconstruction and then compare that facial reconstruction to the painting. And he's received a bit of criticism about this from other researchers for his methods. They don't really, first of all, they think it's tough to, it's going to be tough to 
identify her remains positively just because of the the speed in which this is being done. And also, I mean, we've discussed this before, I think, on previous podcasts, how facial reconstructions aren't necessarily 100% accurate by any means. So I, I think that's come up before with Utsi. It fact. has. <laughs> Uh, so just a little news in that, in that area. Uh, but perhaps the more interesting Da Vinci related news from this year, at least to me, involves a very different work of his, a mural called The Battle of Anghiari. And this work has sort of a strange mystery surrounding this history too. It, there really is a mystery and it, and it all started back in 1503 when Da Vinci and his rival artist, Michelangelo, got commissions at the same time to paint murals on opposite walls of the Palazzo Vecchio, which is now Florence's City Hall. And the murals were supposed to represent Florentine victories, but according to a Discovery News article by Rosella Lorenzi, Michelangelo's Battle of Cascina never made it past the sketching stage. Da Vinci, however, did start on his Battle of Anghiari, which featured the Florentines' 1440 victory over Milanese troops on June 6, 1505. Um, there's some debate about whether Da Vinci actually finish this depiction, though. According to the 16th century painter, architect, and writer, Giorgio Vasari, who wrote The Lives of Artists in 1550, Da Vinci only painted part of his work before abandoning it due to technical problems. And that's kind of where the mystery kicks off. Yeah. Lorenzi writes that some historians think Vasari made up the story and that Da Vinci actually completed his work. It's hard to say for sure, though, because at some point, the battle of Anghiari disappeared. And this happened when around 1560, Vasari was hired to work on a citywide renovation to celebrate the Medici family. And in the course of this renovation, he was tapped to redo the Hall of 500. And after that, da Vinci's mural wasn't seen again. And it only survives now in preparatory drawings and in sketches and a Rubens drawing that was inspired by an anonymous copy of the mural. A lot of da Vinci's contemporaries, though, considered this his finest work. So naturally, a lot of people, including art diagnostic expert Maurizio Saracini, have been really interested in finding it. Saracini is the director of the Center of Interdisciplinary Science for Art, Architecture, and archaeology at the University of California, San Diego. And he's been searching for the Battle of Anghiari since the 1970s. So this year was clearly a major break for him because finally Saracini and his team of researchers announced that they think that they might have found some solid clues as to the masterpiece's whereabouts. And they found the clues by drilling into a wall in the Palazzo Vecchio. Uh, incidentally, it's a wall covered by another fresco called the Battle of Marciano. This one painted by none other than Vasari himself uh, following the renovation that he was involved in. So they drilled these six tiny little poles into Vasari's fresco and inserted a .15 inch wide probe and micro cameras in order to bring back samples of red, white, orange, and black pigment material. 
Then they analyzed it, and this is where this gets so cool. They analyzed um, this this pigment and the chemical makeup of it, and it turned out that the chemical makeup of the black pigment is the same as the black pigment in the brown glazes used on Da Vinci's other works, including the Mona Lisa and St. John the Baptist. The other material appeared to have been applied by a paintbrush, the one that they that they retrieved. So really cool here. And and especially, uh, I, I guess it's worth mentioning, too, that artists did have highly personalized pigments. So that's a big deal. That's true. So essentially, this team's theory is that the Battle of Anghiari is located on a wall that's obscured by the wall that features Vasari's work. And you're probably wondering what makes them think that this could even be possible. And they have reason to believe this because apparently Fazari had done this in at least one other location during his renovations. In the church of Santa Maria Novella, he had to get rid of Masaccio's Trinity. But instead of just destroying it, he bricked over it and added his own mural over the new wall. So Masaccio's fresco was found in 1861 when Fazari's wall was removed. And Saracini even thinks he's found kind of a definitive Vinci code-like clue that this happened on the wall featuring the Battle of Marciano, which proves that da Vinci's work might be behind it. Apparently, Vasari wrote to the words Cerca Trova, seek and you shall find, on a little green flag that exists on that wall. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? It is. It's pretty cool. There was also a radar survey, though. You know, this is not all little green flags written by mm-hmm. uh, Vasari. There was a radar survey that was carried out in 2011 that showed a hollow space between Vasari's mural and the original stone wall, which was the only gap of its kind that existed in the room. So naturally, Saraceti wanted to do some more drilling, do some more research here and see if he could get some additional evidence to prove the theory that there is a lost da Vinci behind this mural. And initially, the mayor of Florence was on board with it. According to Lorenzi's article, Saracini felt that it could be, quote, one of the biggest discoveries in the history of art. But unfortunately for Saracini, according to a New York Times article by Elisabetta Povletto, the project was ultimately suspended when art authorities in Florence turned down the request to drill more holes in Vasari's work. I mean, you've got to, it's not like they're just drilling through some plain stuccoed wall. wall. Right. It does have a Vasari mural on it. From an art conservation standpoint, people were, were very opposed to the idea of it, it, doing something like that just in the hope of finding something uh, amazing beneath it. Uh, Saracini, though, was very disappointed. He told the New York Times, quote, now we have lost an opportunity. So we'll find out. I mean, maybe this is a case where technology can right. give us a, a peek without having to destroy the Saris work on top of it. Yeah, maybe there will be a way to, to do it someday. It would be interesting to find out if it's actually back there. It's kind of a cool story nonetheless. So that Da Vinci story, though, we have to admit, it is cheating a little bit. It's kind of like an almost unearthed <laughs> item rather than a true unearthed item. But there are a couple of findings out of China that occurred this year that were much more concrete that we want to share. Truly unearthed. Yes. 
One has to do with the world's largest human-made structure, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is, of course, the Great Wall of China. And major construction on the Great Wall began around 220 BC under the orders of Emperor Qianxi Huang, who used the wall to protect the Chinese Empire from northern tribes. And, of course, though, it wasn't just one big project all done in the same style. It's been renovated many times by several different dynasties, even though the majority of the existing structure reflects construction and renovations that were done during the Ming Dynasty. Yeah, that's what you've probably toured if you've visited the Great Wall, the Ming portions. Previously, the length of the wall was estimated to be around 5,500 miles or 8,850 kilometers. But the Great Wall, turns out, isn't just one continuous wall. It's a series of sometimes overlapping fortifications made of stone, bricks, or in some spots, packed earth. Uh, the construction of which began as early as the 7th century B.C. And according to an article by Malcolm Moore in The Telegraph, an attempt to survey all of these fortifications began in 2007. The survey encompassed 15 Chinese provinces with the goal of measuring every little piece of wall that they could find. So the findings from that survey, which were revealed this summer, were that the wall is actually more than twice as long as previously thought. It's uh, 13,170 miles or 21,196 kilometers. But there were a few other results of the survey, too. A a total of 43,721 heritage sites were identified nationwide. And there's a new initiative to map out all of the wall too, as part of an effort to to preserve it. You can't really protect something necessarily if you don't know that it's there. There was also another Chinese find announced over the summer. Chinese archaeologists discovered 110 more terracotta warriors. And if you don't know about this, the terracotta warriors are, of course, part of the ancient terracotta army, a collection of life-size terracotta sculptures that were built to guard the tomb of China's first emperor, Qianxi Huang. I think there might be a, an old episode on them, too, maybe done by Candace and Jane. Oh, we'll have to check that out. The Terracotta Army was first discovered in 1974 by someone who was digging a well, and it's a World Heritage Site also. According to an AFP article, though, the most significant aspect of this new discovery is that the uh, new 110 figures were found really well-preserved, so much so that they're still colorfully painted. I mean, I, I don't know. Did you visit the, the High Museum exhibit when there were the terracotta? I didn't. No, you no, missed it. It was, it was it. very cool. But one of the most impressive aspects of it to me were the pictures of the before. And it's just totally smashed little pieces of terracotta. And, and those are what they ultimately piece together into these complete statues. So Amazing. this is so cool to me to hear that they're, they're finding figures that are better preserved and, and still even have pigment on them. Um, too, this is neat, too. The paint doesn't seem to have faded as much as the researchers would have expected. So it is still bright and almost true to, to what it would have been originally. Uh, in addition to the warrior, some pottery horses, parts of chariots, weapons, and tools were also found. I, 
have a hunch, too, that, that this is a story, the Terracotta Warriors and, and more finds there could be something that would be in an unearthed episode year after year because so uh, true. Yeah, <laughs> it's a huge complex. And, and one of the things I remember from uh, visiting that exhibit at the museum, I think maybe last year or two years ago, uh, were pictures of the, the complex as a whole and, and how little of it had really been excavated. Pretty neat. Yeah, it is. Well, that is our episode, Unearthed in 2012, Part 1. We have more finds to come in Part 2. Just for a little teaser, too, we're going to be talking about vampires. We're going to talk about crazy Roman stuff and some Maya history. I mean, that's why we had to divide into two episodes. There's just too much good stuff. And I didn't even get to include... We didn't even get to include everything we wanted to in two episodes. Dublina worked up an enormous list of possible topics. Some of them, I don't know, maybe they'll inspire full-length episodes of their own. I think there are a couple ideas on there that could make good full-length episodes. So we may see them later on down the line. But for now, just get ready for part two. Before we move on to that, though, we want to share a little bit of listener mail. We wanted to share a postcard that we received from Shannon. It's of Saudi Arabia, and, and she was saying that she figured of all the postcards that we received, we've never received one from Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure. I, I tried to think of it. can't remember it, it one. might be a first. I hope I don't offend anybody if you have sent me one from Saudi Arabia. But it's a really cool postcard. It's It was just sitting on my desk when I came in one day, but it is of two men greeting each other in front of a huge array of knives. (laughs) So it's kind of an intimidating postcard. But, you know, they're at a market. It's not a a threatening situation. I hope the message is friendly. Yeah. um, But she wrote to to send a few suggestions, too. And one of them was an episode on Robert Louis Stevenson and suggested that he might make a a cool podcast. And I thought, hmm, that kind of fits into our historical author's sort of series we do. That's true. So thank you very much for that suggestion, Shannon, and for the postcard. If you'd like to share some stories with us of your travels or just some ideas for future podcasts, maybe some bits of history news that you've noticed that we haven't talked about, please write to us. We're at historypodcast at discovery.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter at Missed in History. And I think we actually have an article on the Terracotta Warriors, don't we? I think we do. So that would be a fun one for people to check out, although we might need to go update it now if there's been this new discovery. Maybe it's already been taken care of. Fingers crossed. (laughs) So if you're interested in doing that, go check out the article on the Terracotta Army on our homepage. It's at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.